Well, here we are on the bell lap of our nine-week series called Working Out Our Faith Home Edition. And uh, I don't know if we've saved the best for last. You can be the judge of that. But I do know that we have saved to the very end what I believe to be the single most significant spiritual practice of all. As cool as that might be, I believe it's also the single most challenging spiritual practice to live out, at least for me, because there's a lot of complexity associated with it, which is kind of ironic given that the spiritual practice we want to stare at today is the spiritual practice of simplicity. At some level, I would say that simplicity is almost not even a spiritual practice per se, because spiritual practice is something that you do or do repeatedly. Simplicity in a lot of ways is a posture or even an approach to life. Uh, we see this in the scriptures in a number of places, probably the most poignantly in a dinner episode that Jesus had with two sisters. If you have a Bible and are following along, you can turn to Luke chapter 10, where in verse 38, it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's interesting in this episode that these two sisters make two very different choices, but only one of them gets affirmed by Jesus probably frustrating to the Martha types, uh, those of us who know that if we're hosting guests, let, let alone if we were hosting Jesus himself, there would be a laundry list of to-dos to pay attention to. But in the passage, it actually refers to that laundry list of to-dos as a distraction from the very thing that Mary, in her simplicity, chose that Jesus declared was better. That's the power of simplicity. Simplicity makes the choice to free up space simply to be with Jesus. That's the power and the significance of simplicity. It frees up space to be with Jesus. And I think that, you know, simplicity is so powerful that Jesus even leveraged it when he taught on what a life with God was all about. I think that's one of the reasons why he reduced 613 complicated Jewish laws down to just one, to the two-dimensional law of love for God and for people. And then later on in the New Testament, we see the value of simplicity continuing to be encouraged. Look at passages like 2 Timothy 2.4, where it says, Soldiers, don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Every time the Bible refers to those daily details of everyday life, they're consistently referred to as distractions, as encumbrances that get in the way from people's primary life and relationship with God. 
That's what makes the practice or the posture of simplicity so significant, is that it frees up space to connect with God. In a sense, it makes sense and brings meaning to this whole series that we've been involved in. Because week to week, as we've looked at different spiritual practices and experimented with them, simplicity moves them from simple experiments to ongoing exercises where we can develop habits and begin to experience not only the presence and power of God in our lives, but his transforming work as he grows us into the very best spiritual shape of our lives. That's the power of simplicity. It creates that space. And it's why it's so significant in our lives with God. In fact, I remember an episode years ago where author and pastor John Ortberg was uh, asking a question of his spiritual formation mentor, Dallas Willard, of what the single most significant thing he could do in his spiritual life would be. Expecting Dallas Willard to say something like, read your Bible more, or pray harder, or engage in one of the practices like the ones we've looked at in the last number of weeks, silence and solitude and celebration, fasting, or observing the Sabbath. Willard looked at him and he simply said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That, that ruthless removal of distractions to Willard was the single greatest contribution you could make in your spiritual lives. Interestingly enough, these days, it's actually triggered a book of that very title called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, written by John Mark Comer, where John Ortberg uh, actually wrote the foreword. Because in many ways, the single most significant contribution we can make to our spiritual lives is not necessarily specific spiritual practices, but the underlying spiritual practice of simplicity that makes space for the rest of those experiences to connect with God. Around Southridge, we've got uh, kind of an image that we often refer to to represent this way of life. We call it the rocks in the jar comes from a story that Mike Krause told years ago about a college professor who used an object lesson to try to teach their class some things about time management. They put on their desk an empty jar and began to fill it with large rocks until the class indicated that the jar was full. And when the class shouted out that the jar was full, the professor sought to pull out a, a bowl of uh, kind of gravel stones. And he poured the gravel stones in the jar and it filled all the spaces in between the large rocks until the class again could indicate that the jar was full. And then when they said that, the professor reached under and grabbed a pail of sand and poured the sand into the jar, filling all of the spaces in between the gravel stones and the big rocks until again the class could indicate that the jar was full. Only then the professor reached under and grabbed a pitcher of water and poured the water into the jar, filling all the little nooks and crevices all the way to the top until the class could finally affirm that the jar was full. The professor asked the class what the moral of the story, what the point of the object lesson was. And one keen student vaulted up their hand and shouted out, the point is that you've always got room for more stuff. And the professor said regrettably that that was the exact opposite lesson he was hoping the class would learn. That while human nature surely is to always try to fit the jar of your life with more stuff, the point of the exercise was to illustrate that you can actually only fit the big rocks in 
when the jar is empty. And if you want the big rocks of your life to fit in the jar of your life, you've got to place them in first. That's the power of the practice or the posture of simplicity. Simplicity keeps the jars of our lives empty enough for the big rocks to fit. And that's why it's so significant in our lives with God. In a lot of ways, I compare it to that, that imaginary story of uh, finding a magic lamp with a genie who grants you one wish. And the magic question is, what is the smartest thing to wish for? Well, the smartest thing to wish for is more wishes. And I feel like simplicity is the wish for more wishes. That if we can live out the value and the practice of simplicity, we create the space in the jars of our lives for all those other big rocks to fit, especially a practice-based faith of connecting with and experiencing God. That's why simplicity is so significant. But at the same time, have we appreciated why it's so challenging? I know in my own life, through this pandemic, it was about 48 hours in where I started to feel the impacts of simplicity. Our family was uh, kind of beginning this pandemic in a 14-day quarantine, and I said to Becky early on that I could actually feel palpably in my soul the benefit of the season of simplicity that we were finding ourselves in. You know, our lives, like many of ours, had come to a screeching halt, especially when it came to all of the extracurriculars and after school and evening activities where we were living like virtual taxi services for all of our kids. And I could feel with that pace of life slow, I could feel the palpable impact in my spirit. On top of that, we've been experiencing economic simplicity, where on the one hand, while Becky ha has been out of work and that's had a substantive impact uh, on the revenue side of our monthly budget, uh, we've been saving so much money on so many of those extra expenses that our bottom line is negligibly different from what it was pre-COVID. On top of that, we've been experiencing the benefits of relational simplicity, where yes, I miss all of you very much, and yes, I'm looking forward to the time when we can be together again. And yes, I'm getting tired of Zoom meetings and wish we could be together in person. But I'll tell you, the quantity and then the quality of time that we've been able to just enjoy as a family is something we've never experienced before outside of little stints on vacations together. I've been experiencing all kinds of benefits of this season of simplicity. It's created space for me to experiment, like many of you, with the spiritual practices each week. On top of that, I've had the space to experiment with the spiritual practice of writing and have been able to engage in that substantively. I've been able to exercise more. In fact, there's only a couple days off that I've had between the time that COVID started and today, I've lost almost 20 pounds which has been super encouraging until I ran into Tom Lowen and realized he's lost 30. So just to be clear, Tom, not me, is the biggest loser around our leadership team. Between the two of us, uh, we're half the man that we used to be. Well, what's my point in all of this, in celebrating all of the benefits of this season of simplicity? My point is this. I've had to face the fact that I didn't choose any of this. This was actually a season forced on me in this pandemic. And before this pandemic, I've had to realize that 
I wasn't choosing any of this. And as I stare in the face of life on the other side of this pandemic, when things start to open up, I honestly don't know how much of this I'll actually choose to retain. And the haunting question for me is whether I will actually value simplicity by choice when I actually have the freedom to make it. If you're wrestling with that as well, let's appreciate that at a practical level, the choice of simplicity is actually at least four kind of component choices that we can kind of make in sequence. On the one hand, uh, the choice of simplicity is a choice of clarity. It's a choice of defining and clarifying what the big rocks in our lives actually are and asking whether our life with God is really actually one of those. The second choice is one of priority, whether those big rocks get placed into the jar of our lives first and what it looks like to actually value the very most important things in our lives with the very best of our time and energy. Where do these big rocks fit in the regular rhythm of our calendar and our everyday? The third choice is a choice of focus. Will we have the discipline to keep those big rocks in our jar instead of getting squeezed out and protect our jar from being filled with other things? This is what people describe as the behavior of upholding boundaries, or in simpler language, saying no to the things that ultimately don't matter. And then the fourth layer of this choice is the layer of contentment to be okay with the empty space and not to succumb to the urge to overfill it all the time. If we're looking at our lives and we're already feeling like they're too full, then we've got to engage in the behavior of purging, of actively removing things from our lives in order to free up space for the most important things. Some of us could use some purging on our time commitments, others on our relational investments and our obligations there. For some of it, it's our spending habits and the things that we're trying to acquire that force us to busy ourselves up with extra work and other commitments. Right? The question is, what can we remove from our lives in order to experience the best of life that God has for us? I think that's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 16, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Personally, I hope that in this forced season of a slower pace that this pandemic has provided for many of us, that we'll use it as an opportunity to reflect on those things and ask ourselves the practical questions of what we need to lose in our lives permanently in order to really live. You know, over the last number of months and through this series, if there's one thing that's become obvious, it's our society's need for God. Whether it was the fear and anxiety as the pandemic hit, or the rampant struggles with aloneness, or the inflammation of mental health issues, or even recently in different ways, you know, watching rampant racism and hate and division and polarization take over our society. We've realized again and again and again how much the life and power of God needs to invade our world these days. But let's appreciate that God doesn't just work kind of ethereally out there. The way that God chooses to work is in individual people's hearts and lives 
in here from the inside out. But let's remember the big idea of this series, that the only way that God is free to work is when we engage in a relationship of abiding with him, of accessing his life and power in a way that Brother Lawrence has described as practicing the presence of God. So the engagement in spiritual practices or the lifestyle of a practice-based faith is critical for us to access the life and power of God so that he can be at work in our lives, so that he can transform us into the people and the community and ultimately the society that he's always dreamed and he sent Jesus to earth to empower us to be. At the end of the day, that's why simplicity matters so much, because it frees up space in our lives for us to live out that practice-based faith where God can have full reign in your heart and mind. I remember back to the beginning of this pandemic when Mike read us a poem about the season written by Kitty O'Mara. It goes like this. It says, and the people stayed home and read books and listened, and rested, and exercised, and made art, and played games, and learned new ways of being, and were still, and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows, and the people began to think differently, and the people healed. And in absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. That paints a beautiful picture of the power of simplicity and what we can experience in seasons of it. But remember the way that that poem ends. It says this, and when the danger passed, the people joined together again. They grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. The question I'm asking at the end of this season, and the question I hope you're asking at the end of this series is, what new choices will we be willing to make now that will result in a new way of life for our future? And most importantly, when you consider the spiritual significance of simplicity, Will we make the difficult choice to keep our jars empty enough for the biggest rocks to fill them? And will we make the choice to make space for, for us to engage in a practice-based faith with God where he can have his way in our lives and bring more of his beauty and love and wonder and kindness in and through us like never before? Let's pray together. God, as we reach the finish line of this series, we thank you for your faithfulness in it, and we thank you for all the ways that you've taught us how we can experience more of you in our lives. More than anything, God, I pray that we would make the commitment today to make the underlying space in our lives to fit you in, to realize the priority that you want to be and to give you that level of priority in our lives and to fit you in in that kind of first things first, big rock kind of way. 
God, help us to remove the distractions in our lives and help us to ruthlessly eliminate those distractions and that pace of life that so easily entangles us and gets in the way of us experiencing the most of you. And I pray that as we do that, that these practices we've experimented with wouldn't just be experiments, but that they would become exercises and routines and habits that build fitness and spiritual muscles where we can not only become the most spiritually fit people that we ever have been, but that through that we can know you and love you and share you and exude you to one another and to a world who desperately needs you like never before. Thanks, God, that you want to be that God and that transforming agent in us. We so look forward to watching you work as we give you the space to be a greater God among us than you've ever been able to been, been before. We love you and thank you for all your faithfulness in our lives and in our community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.